You know it's dangerous when I bring a hammer to church. It's just as dangerous when I'm around the house with a hammer in my hand. Just ask my wife um, about that. Well, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. This morning, we are continuing to walk through our sermon series entitled, Standing on the Promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20, we read these words. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. What we know without a shadow of a doubt is that God is always true to His promises, right? Has there ever been a promise that he wasn't true to? No. He's always true to his promises. Over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at first, that first week we looked at a biblical overview of what a promise is. We looked at um, conditional promises and unconditional promises of God. Last week, we looked at the promise of regeneration, the promise that God can raise dead things to life. We looked at the story of Ezekiel. What did the Lord do to Ezekiel? He appeared to him in a vision, and he took him down to a boneyard, and he told him to look out over that boneyard that once represented the mighty army of God, and he said to, to him, prophesize over these bones. And what happened when he began to prophesy? Those dead bones came to life again, didn't they? They, they grew skin again. The breath of life returned to them, and they were restored again to the land of promise. Subsequently, he has promised us that the dead without Christ can experience life through faith in Jesus, that they would repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in him. Now this morning, we're going to look at the promise of restoration, the promise from God that he can take us a bunch of broken vessels and turn us into a mighty warrior mighty army of God. We're going to look at several verses. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to look at a story that all of us are familiar with, the story of the the potter and the clay, and then we're going to also look at several of Jesus's I will statements that he made to his disciples and subsequently to us. Our message point this morning is this, God is the potter, we are the clay. And in his hands, we can change the world. Notice our first point this morning. It is this, shaped by the Father. How many of you have ever sat at a potter's wheel? I wish we had a potter's wheel up here so that I could demonstrate for you how horrible I am at one. I think I tried it once, and these big old uncoordinated um, hands could do absolutely nothing at that potter's will. I think that that lump of clay was a bigger piece of lump after I was done than it was when I started. But what do we know about, about a, a potter? Man, they can take a lump of clay and in just a matter of moments, they can turn that piece of clay into a, a, a pot, into a, a, a vase, into a beautiful work of art, right? How many of you have ever sat at a potter's wheel? How many of you are good at it? Okay. It's an art form, isn't it? Notice first, notice the potter's command. In Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. So what do we see here? We see that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, and what did Jeremiah do? 
Did he roll over in his bed and hit the, the snooze button on his alarm clock? No. He rose and he went down to the potter's house. The Lord spoke. Jeremiah responded. Pretty novel idea, isn't it? If you're like me, oftentimes the Lord speaks, and I do hit the snooze button. And, and I kind of say, okay, Lord, I'll do it, but I'll do it later. Or I'll do it when I'm more um, prepared spiritually to do it, or more refined to do it. You know, have you ever um, received um, what Jeremiah received on this day. Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and you know what he gets? He gets himself a life lesson. He gets himself a sermon illustration. Have you ever received one of those? Has there ever been a moment in your life that, that you went through um, a, a situation? Could have been something tragic, could have been something wonderful, and, and you step back after that, and you're like, wow, man, the Lord really showed up and spoke to me there, and now He's kind of given me something that I can share with other people. Have you ever been there? I think all of us probably have. You know, I'll never forget the first time that I went to, to Israel uh, on a mission trip. And while we were there, we, um, we, we spent a few days at a hospital in, in um, Nazareth. It was um, a hospital that was run by a, a group of Christians out of England. But the hospital itself the primary workers and patients were either Coptic Christians or Muslims. And so here we are, a bunch of Americans showing up on, on the scene saying, hey, what can we do for you today? Now, they, they made arrangements for us to come, but they didn't really know what they were getting when we showed up. And so we showed up, and they, um, at first, man, they were very, very skeptical of us. They didn't know what to expect. And, and so um, one of the things that they asked us to do is they took us to a hospital wing and they said, we want you to paint as much of this wing as you can. Paint the hallways, paint the ceilings, paint the rooms, um, and, and, and take off all the wood molding that you see, take it down to the wood shop, sand it down, uh, put a new coat of, of finish on it, um, or a new coat of stain and a new coat of, 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 of poly on it and bring it back, put it all together, and, and then move on to the next room. And I'll never forget, um, probably the second day that we were there, we were outside the, the wood shop, and one of our guys um, and I, we were sanding um, on a door. And as we were sanding on that door, um, he just stopped, and, and he looked, just looked up and just kind of had a, a, a dumbfounded look upon his face. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he goes, it just dawned on me. Here we are in the city where Jesus grew up, walking the streets that he might have walked, doing woodwork outside of the carpenter's shop. And, and that was just one of those moments for, for, for all of us, where we just were, were, were blown away that the Lord was using us as his hands and feet as he was. And at the end of that week, we were invited into the home of one of these Coptic Christians, which is just unheard of. And, and that just showed that if we would allow the Lord to use us as he designed us to be used, where we love our neighbors and love one another, then the Lord is going to bless that. Not only did we have the opportunity to, to, um, to, to bless the workers there, but we also had an opportunity to go to several of the rooms and actually pray with patients 
while we were there as well. You know, we got a life lesson that day, and I believe that Jeremiah received one of those life lessons himself. Now, everyone would have been familiar with the art that is pot making. Okay, these potters take a lump of clay and they turn it into a work of art in a matter of moment. In, the ancient, in ancient days, um, the potter would have been one of the most important workers within a city. They would have been the ones responsible for making pots and, 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 and bowls for, for keeping food and storing drinks. They would have made plates. They would have made tiles for roofs, bricks to line their ovens, vases, art pieces around their homes. They were important and essential workers. The potter, we know, is God the Father, right? The clay represents us as his children. And reaching back all the way to Genesis 2-7, we get the first picture of you and I being the clay in the hands of our Heavenly Father. In Genesis 2-7, we read, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You and I were molded by God the Father, and shaped into the wonderful vessels that we are today. You know what Paul refers to these vessels in this room as? Jars of clay. And what do we know about jars of clay? Well, we know that, that a jar can be a bit fragile. A jar can easily be broken. I mean, just, just hitting this a couple of times on the side of it just can shatter this into a, a, not a million pieces, but pretty, quite a few pieces. Some of you may have come in this morning, and you may have come in this morning um, all shattered up. Maybe it's because you're having marriage problems. Maybe it's because you're having difficulty at work. Maybe it's because, man, you're just not where you know you need to be in your relationship with the Lord. We all have been there. And we all might be there again one day. But what we know without a shadow of a doubt is that God can take all of these broken pieces and he can easily, once again, restore us into the pots that he created us to be. You know, we are the clay. And when we allow ourselves to be moldable and shapeable and pliable by the hands of our God, he can use us to change the world, can't he? When Jeremiah arrives at the potter, potter's house, he sees something that he's probably seen a million times. He saw this man or woman working at the potter's will, designing and shaping. Notice what we see next. We see the potter's work. In verse 4 we read, And the vessel he was making of clay, was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. The first picture that we get is, is that the potter had chosen a piece of clay. And he placed this piece of clay upon that wheel. And he begins to mold it. And he begins to shape it. But that, that piece of clay was not, um, not cooperating. Have you ever not cooperated in the hands of God? Has God ever tried to mold you and shape you into something and you just were kind of stubborn head, headed and you didn't allow yourself to be moldable as you know that you should have been? Well, that's kind of what I, um, Jeremiah is seeing on this day. He's seeing this, this potter work 
hard to shape that piece of clay. But, but in, the, in the middle of his shaping, what does that potter do? He, he, he beats that clay back down and he starts over. Probably what he, what he does is there's probably was an air bubble in it, maybe a stubborn rock that was in it. And, and he gets that air bubble out, he gets that rock that's in it, and then he begins and he starts all over again. Did he throw that piece of clay away and say that that clay is useless to me? No. He started over. He started molding it again. He started working in it again. And before long, he had a beautiful piece of art that he had um, diligently worked at. What we see with this story is a picture of the Lord's patience with us. If you think about the Lord's patience with Israel, it really was limitless, right? I mean, think about all the times as we read through the Old Testament, all the different times that Israel rebelled against God, God punished them, and then what would God do also? He would restore them, right? Forty years in the wilderness, seventy years in captivity, Two examples of the Lord punishing Israel and then restoring them again. For the potter, the clay had enormous value. He probably went out and dug up that clay himself. He probably worked that clay and got it to the point where it was ready to be used again. Because he had a lot of sweat equity in it, He wasn't about to discard it and throw it away. God has a lot of sweat equity in us as well. And he's promised us that he's not going to discard us. He's not going to throw us out. But he's going to allow us, if we we allow ourselves to be moldable in the hands of our God, he is going to mold us and shape us into the men and women that he created us to be. Notice the next thing we see here is we see the potter's declaration. In verse 5 and 6, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. Such a simple visual, but so incredibly powerful as well. In the hands of God, we can find peace, we can find purpose, we can understand what patience really looks like because the Lord's been pretty stinking patient with all of us in this room. Also in the hands of our God, we can be shaped and formed into the men and women that he created us to be. But notice what Isaiah says. This is really important for us to to make sure we're aware of. In Isaiah 29, 16, we read, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. It's important for us to make sure that we don't flip, um, flip, flip the, 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 the scenario here where we turn as the clay into the potter and we turn God, the potter, into the clay and we mold God into who we want God to be and expect God to be. I think the greatest heresy within our churches today is that we have flipped everything upside down. 
We have molded our God into who we want God to be, and we worship the God that we have created with our hands instead of recognizing that we are the created. He is the creator. And we need to make sure that we get the priority of that right, that we don't flip that upside down, or that we don't allow other um, people or things become number one in our life as opposed to God being number one in our life. In Isaiah 64, 8, Isaiah also spoke these words, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. And let's just fall into the hands of the potter today and allow him to mold us, shape us, and even mend us. Because all of us need mending. None of us came in here as a perfect pot, did we? All of us came in here with at least some kind of a chip or some kind of a crack or some kind of a break in, in, in our lives. But what we have a promise of in Scripture is that God can, can restore us and shape us into who he created us to be. Let's look at um, next at several of Jesus's I will statements that he made to his disciples, okay? Notice um, our second point this morning is this. We are assured by the Father. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever broken a promise? Have you ever broken a promise? Have you ever said, I will do this and then turn around and not do it? Maybe intentionally or in, um, unintentionally, you, you've done that. I think all of us probably have done it. Probably, if you're like me, you do it on a daily basis. You make a commitment that you're going to do something. Your parents tell you to do something. Your spouse asks you if you would do something. Yeah, I'll do that. And, and, and you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock rolls around, and, and you're asking your kids, hey, did you do this? Or your, your spouse is asking you, hey, did you ever take out the trash um, Oh, man, yeah, I told you I was going to do that, but I didn't quite get around to doing that today. All of us have been there. You know, I'm willing to bet that, um, that, that on a daily basis, once again, all of us in this room probably break our promises. It's a universal thing, isn't it, unfortunately? Think about our politicians. Politicians break their promises to us quite often, don't they? You know, um, the sad reality is um, that, that, that a lying lip um, doesn't build up the kingdom, does it? Tears it down, doesn't it? Tears up, down our lives, tears down the lives of others as well. One writer wrote this, The promise of I will means nothing if it is not backed up by the power of, our, of I will. The power of I will is God the Father. And if we make our promises and our yeses in him, then we will see the power of I will. Notice the first I will Jesus said. He said, I will make you. Jesus, the master potter, invested three years of his life into a bunch of lumps of clay, didn't he? And he molded them and shaped them into the world changers that they became. He turned them from a band of misfits into a mighty disciple-making force. In Matthew 4, 19, we read, And he said to them, 
follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, many of the men that Jesus called to follow him were already fishermen, right? They, they made their living casting nets into the Sea of Galilee. And hopefully on a good day, they pulled up a, 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 a horde of fish. And, and Jesus shows up on the scene. And here these disciples are, um, or these fishermen at the time. They're, they're, they're working their nets. And Jesus tells them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, I bet you those men were left scratching their head a little bit there because they probably didn't quite understand what Jesus meant. They understood what it meant to catch fish, but they probably didn't quite understand what it meant to be a fisher of men. But what did Jesus do? He would invest three years of his life into these disciples. He would gift them with the Holy Spirit. And he would turn them into men that literally turned the world upside down as they went out and made fishers of men. I want to read an illustration to you that I came across. Now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully define what fishing means defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they search for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however... They didn't fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the other fishermen back home, they never fished. After one stirring meeting on the necessity for fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and actually went fishing. The next day he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit as many big meetings as possible to tell how he did it. So he quits his fishing in order to have to tell or in order to have time to tell about the experience of the fisherman. Sad story, but I think all of us can relate to it. We have not just been called to learn about fishing, but we have been called to be fishers of men ourselves, right? And Jesus has promised us that he would give us the tools necessary to do the fishing that we were called to do. Next, we have a promise from Jesus where it is the promise um, where I will empower you. In Acts 1.8, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As believers, we have been promised by the Lord that he will make us into fishermen 
and he has promised us that he would give us the tools necessary to do the fishing. And the most important tool is the tool that is given to us at the moment of our salvation, and that is the empowerment that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you and I confess Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives, and when we repented of our sins, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have also been gifted with the empowerment that we have been need, that we need to do the work. Think about um, um, in Acts chapter Two, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room, what did they do immediately? They hit the streets and they began to proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. What did the crowd say? They said of them that, hey, they're a bunch of, of, of winos and, and drunkards. But Peter stands up and says, hey, it's still early in the morning. We are not drunk. We are full of the Holy Spirit. And he began to proclaim the truth of who Jesus was and called those people to repent of their sins. And what happened on that day? Over 3,000 people were baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit and were saved from their sin and were given the gift of life. That is what all of us in this room receive at the moment of our salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit, and we also receive the empowerment, the very same empowerment that Peter received when he stood up boldly and proclaimed the truth of God's Word with that crowd. You and I have that in us. What do we need to do? We need to tap into it, don't we? We need to make sure on a daily basis that we are allowing ourselves to, to continually tap into the power source that is the Holy Spirit. Let us tap into that power as we read the Word of God, as we spend time in prayer with God, as well as being doers of the Word, as we are out being the hands and feet of Jesus. So we have the promise from Jesus that he will make us fishermen and that he will empower us as well. But no, we also have some other promises as well. We see next, I will give you. In verse Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we read, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you have ever needed to rest in the arms of Jesus? Raise your hand if you've ever needed to do that. Raise your hand if you've ever been so dog-tired that you just needed to just collapse on your bed and just rest. All of us have been there, right? Well, here was what was going on during the days of, of, of Jesus, during that first um, century church. The, the Pharisees had not only um, made sure that all of the Jews lived by the standards of the Ten Commandments, but there were also hundreds upon hundreds of other laws that they had told the Jews, you have to do this, and you can't do this. And eventually, that became a burden for the Jews. 
it became a heavy burden where they could not ever find peace in the Lord and rest in the Lord. And so Jesus shows up and Jesus tells them, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You may be here in this room this morning, and you are an incredible doer, an incredible fighter, and you go from, from, from sun up to sundown, and, and you are all about doing good works. But in your doing sometimes, you lose sight on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may need today to come and find your rest in him. Notice next, Jesus said, I will keep you. In verse John 6, 37, we read, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Here we have the promise of security. The promise that God will never abandon us. The promise that the Lord will take us in and forgive us. Regardless of our sinfulness, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of the damage that we have done, and regardless of the things that we have said, regardless of all those things, we have the promise from the Lord that if we would come to Him in faith, we will be forgiven of our sins, and the Lord assures us that He will never cast us out. He will never give up on us. He will never take the, 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 um, the lumps of clay that we are and discard us and grab another lump and start over. He's not going to do that because we are valuable to him. Next, we see the promise of a resurrection. In verse 40 of John chapter 6, we read, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What a promise this is. A promise that when we take our final breath on this side of eternity, we shall awake in the very presence of the Lord. You know, there have been so many of our loved ones in this room and friends that have passed from this life and to lose a loved one is incredibly painful. But knowing that they believed this promise, that they would rise again, is incredibly comforting as well, isn't it? To know that when you take your final breath on this side of eternity, that you will awake in the presence of the Lord is incredibly comforting. Jesus says, I will resurrect you. Meaning that the Lord is not done with us. There's many more things in store for us. Next, there is the promise of answered prayer. In John 14, 12 through 14, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Wherever you, or whenever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus doesn't say I might do it. He doesn't say possibly will I do it. He says when you ask in accordance with my name, I will do it. 
when you and I come unto the Lord and pray in accordance with his will and pray for his will to be done and pray that he would be glorified as a result of our prayer, then we will know without a shadow of a doubt that God will answer our prayers. However, if we treat the Lord like a genie in a body, bottle, and, and demand of him certain things, you know what you can be certain of? He's not going to answer those prayers because we pray those things selfishly. We pray those for our benefit. We don't pray those kinds of prayers for the benefit of the kingdom and the benefit of others. But when we pray in accordance with the will of God and in the name of Jesus, the Lord makes it clear that he will answer our prayers. Now, in closing this morning, we have a promise of protection. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know what this promise is all about, church? This is a promise that the devil will not prevail against us. He will not be victorious over us. Jesus is the victor. And as long as we are his possessions, the gates of hell will not prevail. The demons and the principalities will not be victorious over us. The devil will not be victorious over us. The church is rock solid because Jesus is the solid rock that the church is built upon. Satan may huff, and may, he may puff, he may seek to blow us down or blow us away, but God makes it abundantly clear that we will be victorious because he himself was victorious over the devil. Satan is going to hurl those fiery darts our way, isn't he? Every single day he does that. What did Paul instruct us to do in order to defend off those fiery darts? Told us to put on the full armor of God, right? Put on that full armor of God every single day. And whenever we put on the full armor of God, we can be assured that when those fiery darts come our way, that we are going to be able to deflect them in Jesus' name. Jesus promises us that he will protect us. In the hands of our Lord, we will find purpose. We will find power. We will find rest. We will find eternal life. We will find security, we will find answers, and we will find protection. This morning, let me ask you a question. Are you living your life right now? Broken in pieces. Is your life right now, does it resemble this broken clay pot? If your life looks like this, I want you to know that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will restore you and he will make you whole this morning. He can take you wherever you're at this morning and he can mend you. He can, he can, he can, he can take all of those broken pieces that represent your life and he can make you whole through faith in him. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want to invite you this morning to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together.
and I want to lead us in a time of invitation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we bring this service to a close, Father, we're hearing these sirens outside of the doors of this church. Have no idea what's going on, but I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you will protect those on the receiving end of those fire trucks, of those police vehicles, of those ambulances, Lord, and we pray that you will mend whatever is broken today. Father, in this room this morning, I know that, that all of us have come in here with, with some baggage. All of us have come in here with some, some, some chips and some cracks um, that make up this outer shell of, of the pots that we are in your hands. And Lord, today we ask for mending. Today, Lord Jesus, we ask that you will um, mend whatever that brokenness is in our life. Mend those broken relationships. Father, mend those broken marriages. Mend those um, severed relationships between a, a child and their parents. Father, take that sin that fills these pots of ours and cast it as far as the east is from the west. And we know you will do that. There is a promise in your word that you will do that if we ask you to forgive us of them. So forgive us of our sins this morning. Father, I pray now during this invitation, if there's a decision that needs to be made, that we will respond as your church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.